Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. What's up, Internets? This is Chico Leo, and I am flying high above the Brooklyn night here with another Fambro's special delivery, and I am joined this week by Big Illa. What up, Two Cheeks? What's up? What's up? So uh, how, how was your, your Halloween weekend, uh, Illa YC, or should I say Tyson Beckford? <laughs> well, this year, Halloween fell on a weekend. And funny enough, I actually saw Willie D of the Ghetto Boys at a Halloween party. So that was a weird how that reference reference came all together. That's right. And and who was was he dressed as anyone? He's Willie fucking D at the Ghetto Boys. I <laughs> guess. Willie all right. D. All right. <laughs> he was at Chile, man. I mean, that's this cool thing about being in Houston, because you'll see uh, Scarface or you'll see Willie or whatever, you know, out and about, and you know, Bumby uh, basically is from Port Arthur, but he's a resident essentially. So you'll see him at the mall or coming out and you know at shows and they'll come out and talk to people and do different things. So um, I chopped it up with him for a bit and then kind of went on. It was a great ass Halloween party that my man does every year. I was dressed as Tyson Beckford since basically everybody says I look like him anyway. So it didn't require much in a way of a costume. Some fly polo gear, you know, a little five o'clock shadow working, and uh, there you go. So did you have to tell people who you, who you were? Or did they see you coming and they knew you were Tyson Beckford? Um, some, some bits of both. I had a sticker right. that said, I said, hi, I'm Mr. Beckford. So people who read it kind of got it, you know, and other people, it took a minute. So it just kind of, the, the mileage varied. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah. I, uh, I had a very, uh, I had a very chill, chill Halloween. I actually had a, uh, a family dinner, a giant family dinner for someone's hundredth birthday. And so, uh, damn. Yeah, so that you was uh, dressed up wasn't as the... my family, but uh, yeah, it was pr- pretty crazy. So uh, yeah, you didn't you dress up be... as the Brooklyn Wookie. I did not. I did not oh, this year. No, man. You know, I, I I dressed up a bunch at Comic Con, and uh, you know that was only a few weeks ago. So uh, I did you at least? It. Did you rock the fez, Chico? I did not. I did. It wouldn't no. have been appropriate at the uh, the hundredth birthday party. That was on Halloween. No fez action? Come on, no fez, son. No fez. Oh man. Yeah, no. I was just figuring. I gotta, I gotta put the fez somewhere where it's, uh, you know, it's not gonna get all dusty for before I break it out again. <laughs> all right, man. Well, glad you had a good Halloween. Let's get yes. to it. So yeah, so we uh, we had a nice change of pace actually on 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 the Walking Dead. Um, and I say nice change of pace because the the first three episodes were unbelievably relentless with nonstop wall to wall action. Even the episodes taking place concurrently and back to back. Not a moment to breathe, of course. Spoiler alert: You know, Glenn died last week. I know that there's some people on the internet. Glenn thinking- is not dead. Yeah, no, I, I I believe Glenn is dead, and that the show is playing itself really hard. If uh, if they somehow weasel out of that. Um, Mark my words, fan wow. bros. Glenn is not dead. 
Yeah, I think I think they really then that becomes like, you know, Superman's dead and then they bring him back or Batman's dead. Like up till this point, you know, they've no. killed beloved characters and Chico, come on. They would not make Glenn go out like that. I mean, I would respect it if they did, but Nicholas shot himself, fell on top of Glenn. The zombies ate Glenn's guts. I mean, Nicholas's guts and it covered Glenn. Glenn survives because he smells like dead and he's under another corpse. You know, something's probably going to distract them. We're going to, it's going to be revealed. Something distracts the zombies and the herd kind of walks away and leaves Glenn. Glenn gets up unscathed. But we're going to probably be touch and go with him thinking Glenn's dead because Michonne or whatever is thinking. That'll be the big reveal at the end of the episode after Maggie gets with some other guy. No, I think that it's going to come back like um, the other people who survived, Michonne and that. Like the trio of black people who actually made it, yes. they're going to be like, yo, well, we never got the signal from Glenn, so we're figuring he's dead. They're going to tell Maggie. Maggie's either going to go look for him or some dumb shit like that, but you know, then they'll be all reunited and it'll be all great and kissy and shit like that. Well, I, I hope they don't go that route. Um, I just think if you fall into a pile of zombies and they're all bending over eating the guy next to you and you're squirming and screaming, they're going to start eating you. But... uh We'll uh we'll 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 see because right now that's not here nor there. Although the episode that we just watched is titled "Here Not he- Here's Not Here," um, Morgan centric. Uh, yeah, very Morgan centric, which is dope. Um, there were a lot of callbacks to both the pilot and the clear, which was the the first Morgan centric episode after the pilot that really was a turning point in the show and it's really where the show went from being like problematic to really good and Scott Gimple who wrote that episode was then brought on as the showrunner in the subsequent season and has been the showrunner since then and there were you know just with him the stories that he told and Morgan having written clear and here's not here and all that on the rocks there were there were just all these callbacks and um I, I all the Morgan centric episodes have been dope and they've really doled out, you know, very stingily the the Morgan stuff so as not to over uh you know overuse the character. And so I, I thought this was great. This was a two character episode, just Morgan and Eastman, who was played by John Carroll Lynch. That's a character actor who often plays a bad guy. He has some uh, like something sinister going on. So even in this one, when he was a good guy, there was a sense of, you know, you kind of knew he killed that guy. Yeah, I mean, I had the sense that he killed the dude. I was when when they showed the um, the graveyard and then later he tells a story. I was like, it's probably going to be, you know, my television sense kicked in. It started my antenna started tingling. And um, I was like, it's probably going to stumble upon the dude's gravesite which is what happened you know later in the episode but i i gotta commend the walking dead simply because this is the fourth episode and they've managed to tell a big maxi story you know this is kind of like the you know given the fan bros just had the uh secret wars crossover you know just started it's kind of the same type of thing where We've we've had four episodes and they've all told one large story and it's all been woven together. And what's really dope is the fact that even though this was an aside or a side story, it's still tied into the main story being told because it fit right into that timeline um, of 
everything that happened last, you know, last episode. So it's really we're getting different episodes that are giving us concurrent events happening um, with each episode, and that's so cool. And it's very well layered storytelling. And right. the other thing I really have to give them credit for is making they're doing right by Morgan. They've made him a badass, but in a way that's not overbearing. But they've also um they they've they've done him more justice, you know, because when Michonne was introduced, her character came with fanfare and then kind of stalled out because of how they wrote her. With Tyrese, his character came with fanfare, then kind of definitely stalled out and flamed out. But with Morgan, every time he's popped up, it's been exactly what it's needed to be, just enough. And now that they've fully introduced and integrated him to the show, I mean, he's come through and all of his stories have been really dope. And I mean, that's a credit to Lenny James, but also the writing team and Scott Gimple, I would say, you know, the showrunner. Yeah, I, I mean, what was really dope was, you know, in the first few, you know, episodes of this season and previously, you know, Morgan was spouting this sort of zen you know, what we now know as a keto uh, philosophy, but we didn't sort of know where it came from. And it sort of, it seemed a little new agey and, and, and to have the whole episode to see how he went from the madmen that he, we last saw him in clear to this, you know, basically focused monk, um, you know, when he showed up at the premiere of season five is really dope. Um, we got that all in one episode. It fills in a lot of the holes with his character and shows what he was, why he did what he uh, he did in the first three uh, first three episodes during the attack on Alexandria. And we also got some really dope lessons on on Aikido and cheese making. Yeah, well, we learned who the cheese maker is. You know, That's in one right. of the past episodes, somebody asked Morgan like, "Where'd you learn that?" You know, and he says something like about the cheese maker. Right. And you're like, what the hell? Scratching your head. So now we learn who the cheesemaker is. And and even though, so it was really a two-person uh, episode because everything was just Lenny James and John Carroll Lynch as Eastman, except for the, the final scene, which was Lenny James's Morgan interrogating one of the wolves who he had captured, the guy who had found the photos and we finally actually see that the wolves are, you know, you know, the Eastman's character had talked about that some people are damaged, some people are born with bad brains, but if some people are evil and the wolves seem evil, you know, there was a really chilling moment where the wolf was basically like, well, you guys are probably going to kill me. And even if you don't, I have this wound. But if somehow I get out of this, I'm definitely going to kill you. I'm definitely going to kill everyone here. I'm going to kill all the children. Just like that dude killed, you know, Eastman's children. I mean, he actually references it. So, I mean, it's definitely they're setting it up. This is a very different situation than when the governor was just, le- you know, the governor might have been crazy maybe even evil, but all of his followers weren't, whereas it seems the wolves, all of them are, you know, something's going on there. Well, I mean, they're just fucking deranged. You know, that's what the zombie apocalypse will do that to you. So, right. Well, and it's not just the zombie apocalypse. I mean, somebody carving W's in your head, you know, running around just killing and, and, you know, because Eastman also talked about, you know, people aren't made to kill and, you know, the wolves are out there just killing and, you know, one would assume maybe eating people and, and just generally, you know, they've gone over to the dark side in every way. 
Yeah, but I mean, the wolves, when they first appear uh, to Morgan, and, you know, he leaves one alive, but they're having a conversation with him, and they're talking to him. So right. they're using guile. They didn't just run up on him and just, like, start attacking him. You know, they tried to kind of um, talk. I don't, I, they Not talk, they talk him out of his stuff, but they had a conversation. You know, they had an They exchange. have a conversation, but aren't they? They roll up on him, and, or he rolls up on them, but it's basically like, we're going to kill you, you know. Well, you know, they. You know. I, I thought they rolled up on him. And yeah, they, they rolled up gonna, on him. They're thinking they're going to take him, you know. And, right. He quickly set their asses in place, but still, you know, they're so it's not just like this attack gives it shows another side to them where they're kind of coming in a, as a wolf pack, but it also speaks to an organization, you know, people getting together and hey, we're all gonna put W's on our head. That right. speaks to something, some kind of organization, some kind of structure, not just kind of mindless killers, you know, in the in the way that they're trying to present themselves to be. Because when the other wolf got, um, the table was turned on him a couple episodes when they attacked. He was begging for his life. Right. You know, so it's not like they're just, um, we're going to kill you or we're going to die. You know, it's like, no, you know, they're, they're doing it with a purpose. It's just kind of like they're, they've devolved to savages. And that's what, you know, this has led them to. Yeah, well, I definitely, we're only four episodes in. I'm definitely imagining that this season is going to be a full on, you know, our people against the wolves. And when, um, when Morgan Lee at the very end, he hears someone calling like open the gate, open the gate. And it sounded like it was Rick, which is definitely going to bring everything full. Um, I mean, I'm assuming it was Rick. Maybe it was. Yeah, it was Rick. Yeah. So, you know, um, and then there's going to be some kind of counterattack, counterstrike. I think the people I think Glenn is going to be dead and they're going to have to deal with that. But even if he's not, they're still they're going to think he's dead. So I feel like they're going to deal with the Glenn thing and then they're going to have to deal with the wolves thing. And that's going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. But um, I think having this like meditative, you know, much chiller episode um, right after all of that uh, nonstop action of the first three was really smart, especially when I'm thinking about people binge watching seasons. You know, this will be a really nice break. That actually, you know, did explain a lot and had some great character stuff, some great acting and, uh, you know, some of the more allegorical stuff about life and death and the meaning of it all. I thought um, it worked a lot better in this episode than some of the other sort of more dialogue heavy episodes. I mean, this episode was pitch perfect. Uh, yeah. John Carroll Lynch really yeah. did his thing as Eastman. Um, you know, Lee James constantly brings it. And, you know, I, I just think it was, it was a good episode. It, it definitely was kind of that palate cleanser in a sense. But I think it also it also ties into the fact that they're leaving you. The, the producers are intentionally letting you believe that Glenn has died. Right. So now you have an episode where you're stewing in that because now you still don't know his fate. Right. And you probably right. won't know till the end of the next episode or maybe one after that. Right. No, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they, if they do drag it out. Um, shout out to, uh, did you watch a show Jericho that was on about a decade ago? Maybe even a little more? Cause that had Lenny James on it yeah. as a character, an enigmatic character. You didn't know if he was good or bad. Now, I didn't watch it, but I knew about the show. And the yeah. Comic book. First, uh, first season of Jericho is great. Second season is not so great. Um, now I'm not talking about. There was a show called Jericho with Malcolm Jamal Warner and uh, no, no, no. Luke Perry. I, I know, I, I know the show you're talking about. Yeah. They also did a, a comic book on that too. 
Right. Yeah. So the first season was fantastic. The second season, not so good. And it was one of those shows that actually they canceled it. And then the re- the viewers wrote in. They brought it back for a second season with like only half the characters. And um, it, it didn't last past that. But it had a really fantastic first season. It anyway, Skeet. It is Skeet Ulrich. Skeet yeah, Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich was the lead. And a lot of other people <laughs> who showed up in other shows... Um, Dude's name is Skeet. Yeah. Oh, Skeet, Skeet. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Skeet, the poor man's Johnny Depp. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so a him. show that uh, that isn't in second, that the second se- season started really strong, but uh, it's been falling down as of uh, late for me, is, uh, is Gotham. So we're, I think, six episodes in. I thought the first three were really strong. They're doing this Rise of the Villains. Um, this week was Rise of the Villains by Fire. It was part two of the Firebug storyline. Firefly. Firefly. Firefly, yeah. Um, eh, what, what what did you think? This show is just like, it's a big campy cartoon. I, I think it's like, it's cheesy and corny in a way that, um, it, now that I've accepted it for what it is, it works for me a lot better, you know, because I'm not expecting any kind of serious story you know any kind of serious storytelling they're just over the top you know they're kind of you know a scene chewing uh as tv show so for like what it is it's cool you know i don't have any of the high hopes and expectations and that that so i'm not let down by gotham week after week with this nonsense that they come with i mean the firefly actually the uh the traditional character isn't a bad character i mean what they're trying to do with this one as they try to shoehorn in another batman villain was kind of like a reach in, in a way, and it just had more nonsensical moments and moves and just like, come on. Yeah, well, I so. thought there was a clumsy attempt at actually using the Firefly character to sort of explore Selena and Gordon, not their relationship, but also their characters. But it just felt very, it feels like the characters week to week or whatever the writers want for that story for that week. And... um I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. I think once you accept what it is, then you're you're not disappointed. The problem is, is that, you know, that's such a huge qualification. Like, is it really worth talking about a show that you have to sort of go in knowing is 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 what it is and is not going to be great or groundbreaking or, you know, and there are interesting moments. I mean, there's definitely no doubt. Um, yeah, but I think that's important, though. I mean, you have to deal with shows on their own merits, you know, because... People are coming to it, you know, if you're from the comic book fan base, you're thinking about Gotham Central and the other great kind of Gotham police uh, centered stories that have been told that have been really excellent. You know, the Greg Rucker, uh, Ed Brubaker stuff they did was really good. And this show, it, it kind of gave a bait and switch in the sense of it. it kind of presented itself as being that. But then the biggest clue was Fish Mooney, who I think Jada Pinkett Smith was fantastic and she got it. She was campy. She was over the top. And she overacted in a way that was very much in tune with the identity that this show was trying to attain. You know, right. So- See, it, it's not just Gotham Central, which I totally agree with you. And I read all those and I thought they were fantastic. Um, there's also, you know, it's taking a lot from Batman Year One, both some of the feel of it, but also some of the characters and the time period of like Jim Gordon coming up and and his, all of his 
machinations in in the uh, Gotham Police Department as a detective. And so uh, there's a little bit of a bait and switch because the setting is is this GCPD or like you said, uh, so many of the great Gotham police stories like, you know, there are so many Bullock stories from back in the day, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. And um, then they're giving you, you know, like villains from the 1966 show. So so there is a weird it doesn't know, you know, sort of what it wants or 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 whatever. And, you know, like like we were talking about with The Walking Dead earlier, I mean, it, it took a few seasons, but it really solidified into a great show. I'm not one of those people who really liked it from the beginning. And um, I was ambivalent about The Walking Dead for like the first two seasons into the third. And um you know, hopefully Gotham will figure out what what it wants to be. I mean, there there definitely has been a little bit of a change from the first to the second season. Um, so on opposite Gotham is uh, actually Supergirl premiered this week, which I know uh, DJ Ben Amin complains about Blackish and Empire being programmed against each other <laughs> to not just have two comic book shows programmed against each other, but from the same universe, the same. I mean, they're not occupying but to have a batman universe show opposite a superman universe show just seems so obnoxious to me i mean for example so i'm gonna be dvring those shows and then there's a spurs knicks game on that i'm not going to be able to record because those shows are recording at the same time so you know if any of the programming people from any of these networks are there you know i mean that's really whack um, step your program, your, your cable game up, son. Well, yeah, or I could wait, you know, whatever till the next day, and and which is probably what I'll do, and you know, watch watch one of them on demand. Um, I like the pilot. It was a little uh overstuffed the way pilots can be. Um, I really liked. I don't know how to pronounce her name, Melissa Benoist, uh, or Benoit. It's B E N O I S T. She was on Glee. Um, she plays Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, and she's she's great. Um, she's really good. The way I think Grant Gustin's really good as Flash, and it reminds me of Flash. It 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 feels like an eight o'clock show in the way that Gotham doesn't. Gotham feels like a nine o'clock show, but it's on at eight. Supergirl is a much sunnier show, although she's got you know she's got angst, she's got a backstory. They work Superman into it. Um, there's some she's, really good good cameos. She's got a black Jimmy Olsen. She's got a black Jimmy Olsen who I believe was Eggs on uh, um, True Blood. And he's really dope, actually. And I have to say, they have really great chemistry. And that I actually is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they, they have really good chemistry. And actually, I, it's almost to the point that like... If they don't have them be a romance, then it just, I mean, like, they, I don't know. that That's where I saw that going. But they definitely, I mean, it's definitely a studly Jimmy Olsen, too. He's not a nerd. And so, I, if you're, you know, there aren't that many female, you know, comic book. I mean, I actually was a big fan of Agent Carter. I'm psyched that's coming back. But you, you know, you, you kind of have to go back to the Linda Carter Wonder Woman show, right? I mean... For there to be the last time there was a superhero female protagonist. Now there's action shows and spy shows. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy, yeah, but it's not yes, and and you're right. That that absolutely Buffy. But 
Buffy was something a little different. I mean, this is Supergirl coming with 50, 60 years of comic book history and baggage and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it. And if it continues in the direction it's going and Gotham continues in the direction it's going, Gotham's definitely the show that's going to be watched later in the week on demand. And Supergirl's the one that's going to get DVR'd. So, um, like, who did she face? And who was her villain? And, you know, what was the setup of so the So there's a Kryptonian villain. She was supposed to be her. She's Kal-El's older cousin when they're on Krypton. She's like 12 or 13 and, and, and Kal-El is a baby. And so she gets sent in another rocket to keep an eye on Kal-El. Except her rocket ends up flying into the Phantom Zone. And so he crash lands on Earth and grows up. And then she breaks out of the Phantom Zone, but then um, manages to uh, to bring a whole bunch of Kryptonian villains with her. And so by the time she gets to Earth, time hasn't passed. So now she's much, she's a youngster. You know, she's like twelve or thirteen on Earth, and Superman's already grown up. So he brings her to a couple to be raised, and the couple is actually played by Dean Cain, who played Superman on the Adventures of Lois and Clark, and Helen Slater, who played Supergirl in the 80s Supergirl uh, movie. And um, she's raised there, and then she comes to National City, which is like a metropolis-type, you know, sort of super sunny, hustly, bustly, businessy city. And she works for Cat Grant, who in the comics was was a TV reporter when they had like Lois Lane and Clark Kent work at a TV station in like the 70s and 80s. So she's like a big media mogul in National City and Linda Danvers is or Cara Cara Danvers is her um, assistant and Jimmy Olsen is and James Olsen is now the uh, the art director at her at Cat Grant's new you know uh, magazine so there's a Kryptonian villain it's Supergirl's mother Allura who died on Krypton her evil sister is wants to kill Kara. And I know there's going to be something with the red tornado is going to appear, although he's not in the pilot. But she's very winning. And, you know, they it, it's definitely in the mold of the Flash, not Arrow or Gotham. And um, I recommend it just just based on the pilot. I'm definitely going to be watching it. I didn't know what to expect. And... Um, yeah, I guess that that uh, that brings us to uh, to Flash itself. Well, funny that you should mention Eggs and his connection because uh, the lady who played Tara from yes, Rutina uh, Wesley. Show. There you go. She yes, she, up she was on, on Arrow. Arrow. Yeah, and she actually did a thing. Yeah, no, I I thought she was great, and I thought they really ruined the character of Tara that they didn't know what to do with her. And that turning into a vampire was a really bad idea. And that, um, yeah, Tara was definitely one of the things that they ruined about True Blood. Like, it could have gone really well. She was a great character. I really liked Rutina Wesley. And um, so it was nice seeing her. I don't know if she's going to be showing up again. But she was a, uh, you want to say like a bad cop, but 
their 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 story her 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 backstory was uh was was compelling in the sense that they were cops who felt they were fighting a losing battle they sort of were like a twisted version of of arrow himself um no nah. <laughs> they were just, you know they were the people who were trying to get him you know they just kind of took it took advantage of a situation they were opportunists i don't think that she was evil or anything and um like if she popped up as a part of the suicide squad or some shit you know that wouldn't be too far out of the beyond the pale right. you know if something like that happened but you know they she was just a criminal basically she didn't want to see herself as that and i thought that was an interesting take on things um considering the parallel of the storyline of um of Arrow Captain and Lance. Uh, Captain Lance, yeah. of people who kind of you know how you see yourself versus what you really are. Um, I think that was an interesting thing that they played with, you know, because the episode gave us where we, we finally get to see that Oliver discovers Captain Lance's connection to Damian Dark, and um, we get more motivation. You know, I thought it was a good week for Oliver, just in terms of the care and even Lance to a degree. Where we kind of yeah, so it was a great a great like sort of acting episode for the guy who plays Captain Lance. There was a lot of angst, a lot of him falling on his knees and crying. He tries to shoot his resurrected daughter, who's or his resurrected feral daughter. Um, but Ollie in general, Oliver has been um, there's been a little bit more of a, a, a relaxed, less uptight Oliver this season, and that's been for the best. Um, the flashbacks being back on the island. For some reason, even though it seems like they're treading the same ground that they did before, I'm just glad to be back on the island. I really thought that was some of the strongest stuff in the first two seasons. I, like a lot of people, was uh, unhappy with the second Black Canary. I never liked her anywhere near as much as the first. I feel like it might be in response to all the fans who sort of freaked out about that and just never liked Laurel um, (laughs) that they wrote in this plot line where Thea, Queen, and Laurel bring uh, Sarah – the dead black canary to up to Nandar Parbat and try and dump her in the Lazarus pits, which you're not supposed to go into after you're dead. They're supposed to sort of revive you, you know, either, you know, if you're heavily wounded or they sort of keep you rejuvenated if you're just, you know, normal. But anyway, she gets revived, but she comes out in a very feral state. And, um, it wasn't a reaction to the fan backlash. I mean, because Laurel's character is by namesake uh, the original Black Canary. You know, if you're going by a comic book, right? Sarah, Sarah Lance was not, but Sarah Lance, the character on the show, was just you know a much better performer yeah. um, and much better in that role. But they're really setting up the White Canary for her role in uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which right. is going to be another spinoff from Flash and Arrow that'll be launching soon, and she's right. going to be a part of that. But to me, the, the, the Sarah Lance, White Canary, Black Canary stuff were really the weakest parts of the episode. I mean, the stuff on the island is still kind of festering and finally looking like it's starting to catch traction and go somewhere. But the heaviest and strongest parts to me were just really kind of getting the Oliver and Captain Lance, where we really got to see that Oliver looked up to this guy. You know, he looks right. up to this man and, you, and you, you find out his rationale for wanting to run for mayor and really kind of help the city and you you know he says you know i want to be the man you know or he want he wanted to show you the kind of man he was and in the, the, his disappointment at seeing lance you know kind of compromise himself whereas ali saw him as a role model and somebody who wouldn't compromise and who fought the good fight and who kind of did the right thing 
you know, and seeing that side of himself come out, it was just that to me was the the emotional core of the episode. And it, it really kind of gave this episode more resonance. And I've really been rocking with Arrow for the last couple of episodes. I mean, they've been, you know, a lot of people are giving a lot of praise and props to Flash, but Arrow's been really solid. This well, one of the things was Arrow's weakest season was last season, which was also the first season of The Flash. So that was part of it. Um, I do. I agree with you. I think Arrow has bounced back from from a bad season with a be- with a better one. Now, this episode was called Beyond Redemption, exploring those those themes, you know, like that both both Oliver and Captain Lance and Rutina Wesley's character were all, you know, dealing with um I didn't know the White Canary was going to be part of the Legends of Tomorrow. I actually think some of the weaker stuff in Flash and Arrow are the shoehorning in of of the things that are going to be on Legends of Tomorrow. Like you said, you know, some of this Sarah Lance stuff, if they're dragging this out just so that they can create a character for the other show. Um, I actually was not, I, I do like the actor Brandon Ruth, but I didn't like the, um, the Adam stuff last season for the most part. I liked the stuff with him and Felicity Smoke, but I didn't really like the, you know, his, the stuff with his suit and I, I don't know. It just, I, I wasn't wild about it. And the Firestorm stuff on this week's episode of Flash, Fury of Firestorm, um, it just oh. felt like after all the really great stuff with, you know, Earth 2 and Jay Garrick and, you know, the Harrison Wells of Earth 2 and Zoom and the man, sh- the King Shark, you know, that was introduced yeah. briefly this episode. Like, I didn't see I anywhere mean, near enough of King Shark. And there was just the- a, <laughs> a little too much Firestorm stuff. There's been too much with Professor Stein and... Well, I mean, all this stuff is just like these episodes are like the Iron Man two of the Flash yeah. Arrow universe. Yeah. They're all set up the Firestorm, the stuff with Adam. They're all to set up the Legends of Tomorrow show. I mean, I think we're gonna find out in a couple episodes that Adam managed to shrink himself, and this yes. is kind of like how they're doing it. Um, all the little hokey stuff, plus the uh, Mister Terrific character. He's got to be revealed at some point. He's gonna be a part of Arrow though, not Legends of Tomorrow, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But, and um, is Mister Terrific Fel- Felicity Smoke's assistant? Yes, with the very yeah, bad hair. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I mean, it was I again. I it was a perfectly enjoyable episode of Flash. I would have liked to have seen a lot more of King Shark. Um, King and- Shark is the dopest part of that episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so dope. Like the rest of the episode, to me, I enjoyed the uh, Jackson being introduced. I mean, it was a swerve. From the comics, etc., because they had already introduced the character of Jason Rush, who's the right. guy that the original kind of a uh, guy who who joins with Stein. So the Jackson character is all new. Uh, my man from Attack the Block is in it as Jackson. He was cool, but you know the whole episode was kind of filler. But it, it, it paid off big with that King Shark bit. That was yeah. awesome. That yeah, that was like the Morgan you know stinger at the with the wolf at the end of. Uh, the Walking Dead, uh, here's not here. You know, having that little stinger with the... Because they had been mentioning, you know, oh, someone, you know, someone thought they saw a shark guy or oh, their shark DNA. And then to have him show up at the end and he's literally like a 20-foot, you know, shark man. It was dope. Because, <laughs> you know, so these are dope. comic book things and these characters have been around for 50, 60 years and... You know, I think, you know, Flash knows what it is well enough that they can throw in, you know, 20 foot walking sharks and uh, and it'd be dope. 
Well, there was an interview I read with the producer, and he was like, "That thirty seconds cost us so much money, oh, but we sure. had we had to pay it off." He's like, "We can't we can't ever do a full King Shark episode, but we seeded it through the episode, and we had to have it pay off." And everybody was so stoked about it, and man, it was lovely. Well, that was my problem with with the Grodd episode last season was we never saw we saw so little of Grodd. It was like people in tunnels. And, you know, you would hear Foley sounds in the background and people, oh, is he there? Is he, you know, and then suddenly someone would get like dragged off screen. But we just never saw enough of Grodd. And that that is the the problem with uh, with CGI and TV shows. Yeah, those TV budgets aren't the same. But I, mean, no. I think they did. They did right by Grodd. But you notice they had him in the sewers and the tunnels. Oh, yeah, yeah. So but, you didn't have to, you know, it was dark and they didn't have to show all of him and. Yada, exactly. Yada, yada. I mean, but so, Grodd's supposed to be coming back, though, so. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I mean, he better. So, I hear, I haven't been watching, but DJ Ben Amin has been raving about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I know you're watching it, so what, what's what been going on with, uh, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was dope. Like, it's been hitting on all cylinders for the last um, couple seasons. I mean, after... People kind of slipped on it. You know, the first season kind of started off rocky and slow, and I was one of those people who's kind of like, eh. But then after uh, Captain America Winter Soldier dropped and they turned everything on his ear, the show is steadily improved. And this episode was kind of like how The Walking Dead was, just kind of a, a takeaway, uh, a, a sidestep show called 4,722 Hours, where we finally learned what happened to uh, Gemma when she got sucked into the monolith at the end of the last season. And it was, a, in fact, you know, it's a lot of parallels actually between this episode and the Walking Dead episode because here again we had um, two people. You know, it was kind of a two 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 person play where she goes to she gets sucked into this monolith and it lands upon this alien planet and kind of has to survive. Um, she encounters a NASA astronaut and kind of go you know they go through the motions and kind of deal with finding hope and the potential to have escape. And then kind of falling into desolation and, and desperation. And I mean, it just really made for excellent, compelling TV. You know, they, they twisted um, like the logo and how they normally stylize the, the, the show. You had a whole new kind of logo for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, as this story kind of came in. Because it opened cold. It, just, it, it picks up exactly where the end of last season left off and goes right into her story. And goes through her trials and tribulations as she tries to survive on this alien world. And then... Um, you know, she tries to, you know, escape and, you know, to have to have hope and, and have an opportunity, you know, be, elude you in such a way that was just heartbreaking. And then finding her, you know, kind of earning a, a love mate, a, a potential love interest uh, in the character that the astronaut that she met there. And then, you know, the end tag is her revealing that this is a story she's telling to Fitz, who's the guy who's uh, her partner on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, who has brain damage, but who's still in love with her. And that interplay was just excellent, you know, because he basically declares, we're going to go get this guy that is on this planet that you had to leave behind when we rescued you. And the, the thing that made this show, this episode really so compelling was the fact that Fitzsimmons has, they've evolved so much from the first season. In the first season of the show, they were kind of the geeky, you know, finishing each other's sentences and you, you like you know you you felt like it was a, a limited time on how much tolerance you would have for them, but from beginning to the end of the season, I mean, so much happened that you they became 
fully realized characters that you really and, and fully um separate entities from each other that you really grew to care about. And that you know was that dynamic was fleshed out further in season two. And now we're kind of getting more of a payoff to all of that character building and the emotional um the emotional depths that have been, you know, drummed up. Well, I got to uh, yeah, I definitely do have to catch up. I got to I'm sure I can google it. I'm I'm going to try and literally pick it up with that Winter Soldier, you know, episode because I definitely am one of those people. I mean, the Winter Soldier is the best of the Marvel movies. It even edges out Guardians of the Galaxy, I think. And to see the reverberations of that sort of carry over on on the show and everyone does say it's dope. Yeah, I mean, it's just another thing I got to catch up on. Um, but I can do it. It's a season and a half, you know, um, or two and a half seasons at this point. And because I was one of those people, I watched the first two episodes and I was like, this is terrible. This is, you know, they're they're ruining the good name of the Marvel movies. Nah, you, you just kind of come to see that they were kind of introducing you to the characters and the concepts and treading water. And yeah. they were trying to they were trying to find their identity. You know, the thing I always said was, they were like an ABC show, but they were playing like an ABC family type of thing where it was right. a little too light. And they've gotten not so much darker, but a little bit more mature. So now they're doing a show that probably be aimed for teens and the college age, not necessarily adults. Right. But it's still, you know, smart enough and enough. It gives you enough teeth that it's well, really enjoyable from week to week. And it kind of would sit right there with The Flash or another show that kind of really enjoys what you know it knows its identity now and they revel in it and you know everything is a lot tighter it's better paced um they aren't kind of going for a lot of the cheap jokes that they used to go to you know the drama is solid i mean and it has good action you know and their technology their cgi the effects everything is you know on point all right yeah no i I, because even all that stuff wasn't wasn't up to snuff yet in the beginning um you know, in the first couple episodes. But uh, yeah, it sounds like they've gotten their act together. Um, you know, we've got, you know, I mean, um, Arrow next week is doing a crossover with John Constantine, who, although his show has been canceled, you know, there's there's more and more of these comic book shows, and it's going to be very difficult to watch them all, you know, and especially when they're showing Gotham and Supergirl at the same time. Um, but, and Legends of Tomorrow is coming on, and I'm sure there's others. Um but um, yeah, Agents of Shield, uh, I guess is uh, you know should be on everyone's list now. All right. Well, in other news, um, the Secret Convergence on Infinite podcast continues. If you listen to the regular episode of Fan Bros last week, you will actually see that DJ Ben Amin and I were actually kidnapped by the Beyonder and brought to this battle world, along with several uh, other podcasters from other podcasts, and we're doing a whole elaborate crossover that's lasting nine podcasts that uh ben's appearing on two or three and i'm on two or three so uh check out the hashtag scoip uh to find out what other podcasts we're going to be on and what other podcasts are going to be uh in the secret convergence on infinite podcasts and hopefully if you like some of what you hear you might add a, add a couple more podcasts to your uh, to your listening queue, and um, yeah, I think covered in a uh, black goo. You know, are you spider cheeks now? I am not. I am not. That the the symb- alien symbiote did not bond to me on on that trip. 
I'm glad you survived Battle World to, to be back on the special delivery. That's right. Well, I'm in, in, in the escape pod flying back to uh, to Castle Chico as we speak. All right. So I guess that's uh, that's it for this week on special delivery. And uh, we've got a very special episode of Fan Bros coming up this week. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week with more TV and more superheroes. Fan Bros! Fan Bros! Fan Bros!